I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way. Recovery is about healing the past, finding meaning in the present, and creating a future that's in alignment with your purpose and values. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery. Because our needs are not negotiable. So today I'm going to talk about how I managed early sobriety, the withdrawals, the detox, the mental mindset. You know, after 30 years of drinking and 10 of those being, you know, daily drinking, I had this strong belief that I couldn't not drink. So it was really surprising to find that I could. And not only could I do it, but it was easy and it felt like a relief. And so I'm going to try to articulate for you what was different uh, about April 21st, 2020 than the other times in my life where I have taken a break from drinking. And I think the way I just said that is really the, the, the foundation of the difference. I wasn't taking a break from drinking. In the past, when I have found the strength to just not drink for one day, throughout the the 10 years prior to me entering into sobriety, I probably had less than 10 days where I did not drink. But I do remember one stretch in particular uh, where I made it, so in 10 years, I think I, I did seven days all in one stretch. But I didn't think I was quitting drinking. I think I just got lucky, you know, somehow life had gotten so busy that I had been unable to drink one day and felt so good the next day that I found the motivation to keep going, you know, almost like I caught some wind in my sails of sobriety and I just went with it and it felt amazing. But I didn't think it was like a new way of being. I didn't think I was quitting drinking forever. I was just taking a break and every single day that I wasn't drinking in that week, I was feeling better and better. And one of the pro- one of the issues that you face in early sobriety is going through withdrawal. And what I want to say about the withdrawals from alcohol is in the past when I went through that one week, I didn't even name that what I was dealing with was withdrawals not drinking felt so much better that I was able to deny the very real withdrawal symptoms that when I finally did quit, I kind of embraced. When I realized I was going through withdrawals, um, and I'll go over some of those signs in a minute, but when I realized that was what I was experiencing, I had to accept that I had been addicted to alcohol. And that was not something that I allowed myself to ever think. I knew that I had a problem drinking. I would have joked around and told you that I'm an alcoholic. In my dark, quiet moments on days when I truly did not want to drink, and there's this voice in my head that said, tough shit, bitch, go pour yourself a drink. You know you're going to drink. You might as well go get the drink. 
And I would have that battle of, but no, it's Tuesday and I have a big day tomorrow and I don't want to drink. I, I, I would fight with myself and then ultimately literally watch myself, go get the vodka, pour it into my drink and be like, this is what's going to happen anyway. You might as well get started so you can go to bed early. I would not have had the, the cognitive awareness that I was indeed addicted to alcohol. I thought I was weak. I thought I was an asshole. I thought I was spoiled. I thought it was privileged. I thought I just didn't have any willpower or discipline. I did not realize there was a mechanism in place that was so hard to override that I wasn't able to do it. And that speaks to the severity of withdrawal that many of us fear. Many people that I speak with and work with, you know, they don't know how they're going to get through withdrawal and detox. I encourage you to look back through your life and reframe the breaks if you've been able to take even one day off. Um, it's not that hard. It's different when you don't realize and you want to stay in denial and you want to call this a break. It's different because you don't really look, the symptoms are, are mild enough or at least you can excuse them as something else or blame them on life or whatever, you can actually go through alcohol withdrawal and not even realize you're going through it. That's my point. And that being said, alcohol withdrawal is nothing to take lightly. There are people who do need medical supervision. They do need to go into a detox and be given you know, there's medications that can help. No, it's not stepping down and weaning off. They don't treat you with alcohol. Withdrawal is not a consequence of an alcohol deficiency. And I've seen people really spin their wheels and ultimately undermine their progress and end up not moving forward because they think they drink so much that they have to taper. And that is actually not really an effective method. Studies show that, you know, tapering your alcohol consumption doesn't really, uh, ab doesn't mitigate the withdrawal symptoms that you're going to have. So my advice to my clients and to anyone is if you truly believe that you're not going to be able to quit alone because you're at risk for seizures or you know the DTs, delirium tremens, when you're hallucinating and all of that. If if you have any signs of that, you need medical support. You cannot taper your way through that kind of consequence. But I will say that given the amount that I drank, you know, like I framed it before, a bottle of wine could have been a warm up lap. So many days, you know, I was drinking the equivalent of two bottles of wine or uh, perhaps you know a bottle of wine and towards the end I could clear half a fifth of vodka, uh, not wine also, but it's the amount that you drink doesn't necessarily indicate how much at risk you are. You could drink far less than that, but because of other neurological issues, be at much higher risk. And so you just have to approach quitting with an open mind. You know, I had a client once who, did not want to, you know, really talk about it. None of us do. I get that. But she had epilepsy and she was, I think, day three or day four experiencing major tremors and could not focus or or even kind of get through life, even if, you know, calling in sick to work wasn't enough. 
And so I coached her to go and she did go to a detox facility and she said it was the worst week of her life, but she was able to get off alcohol. So I don't want to oversell detox. It's not a spa. Um, and it can be humbling and even humiliating depending on your mindset. But the way I coached her through that was, you know, especially for us women, think of when you're pregnant and you really, really want to have a home birth and you want to give baby, you know, no drugs and you want to just have a natural experience with all that horrible pain, whatever, but you want to do it at home and then you, the baby gets stuck or something goes wrong and you have to go to the hospital and there's a cesarean. It's like maybe your sobriety is breach and you need a cesarean. You know, the goal here or the metaphor here is that you're pregnant with your new life and sometimes you have to go to the hospital to get it out. So I was very lucky in that I was able to quit cold turkey. My biggest symptoms, I remember thinking, I felt stunned. I felt like traumatized. I felt like I had been in a really bad car accident, but I had walked away unharmed. And it was just that, you know, I, I, I didn't have any feelings. I didn't have a big reaction. I was just kind of numb and in a daze. And I did feel sometimes like my brain was wonky, but it really wasn't any different or worse um, and it actually it was better than my worst hangover where, you know, I'd get really bad brain fog or I would have just weird sensations in my, my head or my body. It wasn't worse than that. So it was not hard to go through the withdrawals, but it, I, it did require me to allow that to be kind of my primary focus that would be one recommendation I have is that if you're going to quit drinking, you don't have to say you're quitting drinking for the rest of your life. You can say, I'm quitting drinking for the foreseeable future. I'm quitting drinking until I know that that's not a form of self-destruction anymore, you know, and that can be, you can set your goal to get through 10, the 10 day detox. You can set it for a month. Uh, you can set it for 90 days. I've worked with people that sets all kinds of goals. The good thing is, is that sobriety and feeling good is just as addictive as alcohol. And so if you do it right, and that's what I'm going to talk about, how to do this right. Um, if you do it right, the, the first glass of sobriety orders the second. You know, just like we all understand that the third glass of wine, you know, orders the fourth and the fourth orders the fifth. You don't ever sit down and think, I'm going to have six glasses of wine. You don't think that. So whatever gets you into sobriety, you know, if you have to set a time frame with it, then, and that gets you started, then per perfect, like do that. I would say that the bare minimum that if you are struggling with alcohol use disorder, the bare minimum really is a one-year commitment. And I'll tell you, it, it it just gets to the one year and really you need to go through at least two. I'm at two and a half and I wouldn't dream of having a glass of wine for a variety of reasons. Um, I think that if I did have a glass of wine, I would be able, I would be fine but I don't want to open that door. I don't, it's not the physical addiction I fear anymore. I broke that. I overcame it. It's more of the thoughts about alcohol 
And, you know, am I going to do it again? Or how long between drinks is okay? And is one drink okay? And two, like, I don't fucking care about alcohol anymore. At one point in my life, the goal was for me to become a person who could take or leave alcohol. And I've done that. And being that person, I prefer to leave it. So what you really need to understand when you come into early sobriety is you are dealing with a very dysregulated nervous system. You know, you have overridden your natural desire to take care of yourself and do the right thing. And hitting that override button for years has taken its toll. So when you come into early sobriety, your nervous system is very dysregulated. What does that mean? That means that your bandwidth to handle life is really small. Your emotional resilience is not there. Your stress resilience is not there. And so in early sobriety, as much as possible, you want to make make it that's what you're doing. Because if you don't give yourself the space to learn new coping skills and to start honoring the, the amount of stress you're experiencing in any given moment as though it matters and not just constantly, you know, before reaching for a drink, but constantly trying to just mute what's going on in your body. That's how you got here was overriding and, and not paying attention to what your body needs, not not doing self-care, you know, existing on less sleep, using caffeine and sugar and maybe nicotine to, you know, jack yourself up or Xanax to pull yourself down. You know, I was like a walking pharmacist. I was always, you know, taking something to, if I didn't have enough energy to compensate for that, if I had too much energy to compensate for that. And so early sobriety, while it is about, you know, getting the alcohol out of your system, getting the alcohol out of your system, you, you're kind of dealing with a train wreck for a while. And you have to allow for that. And this, the more you respect it, the quicker you move through it. So, you know, there is no wrong time to quit drinking, but there can be something said for choosing a time where you can take some days off of work, so where you could go a little half pace, um, you know, and I don't ever want to encourage somebody who's like, you know what, I'm ready to do it today. Okay, then do it today. But what you will find when you quit drinking is that it's not really just about the alcohol. And if you give yourself the space to deal with your nervous system and untangle your thoughts and beliefs about alcohol, then you're much more likely to not have to go through this again because your alcohol use disorder is primarily a thinking problem where your logic is not in place and you're not making rational decisions. And so a lot of those things have just become normal in your brain. You know, this happens and this is what I do in response to that. And so it takes a lot of time uh, to learn how to talk and walk at the same time as processing your feelings and thoughts, 
It just does. And when you're going through early sobriety, it's very stressful. You know, your body is detoxing. You know, it takes 10 days to get all of the alcohol metabolites, metabolites out of your system. And those toxins give you brain fog and interrupt your sleep. So in the first 10 days of sobriety, you know, I went from maybe the first night or two, I slept really well. And then I had bouts of insomnia and not only insomnia, but I was drenching my bed, you know, sleeping in puddles of water where I would have to change the towel that I was laying on throughout the night. And I was hot inside my body, but cold on my skin. And I was itching. Um, and, you know, for me, when I went through that, I just embraced it like, holy shit, this is, this is how toxic my body has been to the point where I, I, I looked at it as motivation that I was doing the right thing. I wasn't taking a break from alcohol. I was getting the shit out of my system once and for all. And I didn't know what that would mean going forward. Would I ever drink again? But I just knew that I was showing up for myself. And it felt really, really good. Even the bad parts. I was noticing myself. I was treating my body like it mattered. I quit about six weeks into COVID. So life had shut down. I didn't have to go to work. Um, I did have to mom. And that was really hard. I had two teenage girls in high school at the time who had just lost their whole entire life and were dealing with their own mental health issues. But I can tell you that dealing with them sober, uh, even as I personally went through withdrawals and, you know, focused on my beliefs about alcohol and really made myself a priority, dealing with them was still a lot easier than it had been, you know, in the six weeks of COVID prior to my decision to quit drinking. And I really looked at that as a gift and I would language what I did. I, I kind of put myself into a cocoon where I only did what I had to do. You know, I did the mom things for them. I, you know, made sure we had food and maybe some meals, but the rest of my days were spent reading Quitlet, attending online meetings. Um, and as I shared in my um, What Got Me to Quit episode, I did attend AA meetings online. I didn't know there were other options. I think by the, it was five months into sobriety before I found a group that wasn't AA. And I only attended the AA meetings for about a month. Uh, and then after that, I kind of just was quiet and did my own thing. And I had no sense of community. And then about five months into sobriety, I realized like, well, you know, I have to find something. And I was able to do that. But attending meetings, even as I saw issues with, you know, the AA philosophy, having that sense of connection and community was so valuable. I didn't, I, I now don't really so much identify as a sober person, but in those early days, I did need to cling to something. And so I really enjoyed listening to other people's stories. I started devouring Quitlet like it was my job. So I was reading and listening and looking at podcasts and going to the meetings and sharing some of my story, you know, just kind of trying to see where I fit and, and, and just 
participating as kind of a new sober person. And I took a lot of advice and I didn't question too much of it in the early days, but as I got my mental capacities back, you know, then I was able to articulate what I did and what I didn't agree with, didn't agree with. But it was super important in those early days for me, my experience to surround myself with people who weren't drinkers, to put myself into a learning mode where I was exploring new ideas and challenging my own beliefs and listening to advice and trying it on and, you know, deciding what I wanted to keep and deciding what I wanted to discard. My favorite Quitlet books. So I don't know if it was day one or, you know, the first weekend, but I, my first one was Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman. Oh my God. That's the first book I've ever listened to where I, at the end of it, I immediately started it again and listened to it again. It was so powerful for me uh, to hear her explain how we all got stuck in this alcohol trap. You know, the marketing and the social media and the culture with the mommy wine juice and the mommy at playdates. I mean, she, she, as a, as a person, she's not even a, a mom. She doesn't have children. She's single. She's more corporate where I've been, you know, I did a, a I was a stay at home mom for a long time. And yet she described my life and how I just participated in this culture and it was a slippery slope that led to daily drinking and you know all of the the memes about wine you know live love wine i i think i still have one of those signs somewhere in my kitchen or whatever but how i had been indoctrinated to believe that alcohol is a reward and that it's part of parenting and you know coffee you know i do that all day and wine you're on deck in the evening and just listening to her reframe that as fucking propaganda. And even, you know, she was the first one that opened my eyes to where I was having kind of dissonance with the AA philosophy. And she talked about how AA kind of feeds into the alcohol industry because they're the ones promoting this idea that there's normal drinkers and there's alcoholics. And that prevents all of us who spend a lot of years of our life as normal drinkers from realizing that we're in quicksand. And the more we drink, the more we need it. And anybody can get addicted to alcohol. I hadn't known that. So while I'm busy Googling, am I an alcoholic? I had no idea that I was dealing with a drug. You know, alcohol is a highly addictive drug. It's right up there with benzos. And I think it's a little less than opiates, but maybe a little more than cocaine. Like it's highly addictive and it's a class one carcinogen. Like what? You know, if there's a statistic and I may not get this exactly right, but if up to three drinks a week, increases a woman's chance of breast cancer by 15%. And every drink after three drinks increases it by like another either 10 or 15%. So like when I do the math on that, I was far exceeding, you know, a thousand percent increase or, or more. I'm not going to do the math on that, but nobody tells us that. 
Um, I had no idea that alcohol was a carcinogen. And she points out that those of us who are listening to goop and micro analyzing the ingredients in our mascara and, you know, oh, I wouldn't dream of using a non-organic mascara. Meanwhile, we're like sucking down ethanol, which is the same shit in rocket fuel and hand sanitizer. We're sucking down that like it's the fountain of, of youth. I had no idea. And so listening to her reframe alcohol um, and then to explain the physiological mechanism of, of how alcohol affects our bodies and our nervous system and then how addiction comes in. You know, when we drink, alcohol kicks our um, dopamine uh, it releases dopamine two to ten times what normal everyday activities are. And then our body and our brain gets used to getting all that alcohol, the alcohol to get the dopamine. And so it down regulates dopamine for normal everyday activities. So that's why we start losing pleasure. And for and we can't show up anywhere without like, where's the bar? Or I guess I'll bring a roadie because that idiot isn't serving alcohol and it's like six o'clock at night like what the hell is this you know um and so i i had no idea that that there was a physiological reaction not to mention that alcohol is a sedative it's classified as a depressant or a sedative drug and so as our body calms down you know we take that first drink and we do feel soothed the rough edges go away and but that doesn't last longer than 20 minutes at the most an hour and then other parts of our brain start to shut down and as that happens um, our brain releases cortisol and adrenaline and norepinephrine to counteract the sedative sedative effects which is why i couldn't go to sleep i couldn't quit drinking and i couldn't go to bed without alcohol because if I did quit drinking, my cortisol levels would get me all jacked up. And I remember calling that reentry. You know, if I went to lunch with some girlfriends and I had two glasses of wine, I either had to keep drinking, you know, titrate. I, I didn't go home and like slam it, but I'd have another glass of wine or half a glass of wine just to get me through to happy hour when I could start drinking again normally, or I had to lay down and go to sleep. That's, you know, I just stopped being able to drink and stop. I, I physically wasn't able to do it. I had to sleep in order to get through that time. And then that also explains why um, when we do fall asleep, uh, kind of pass out, we wake up middle of the night in really high agitation, anxiety, maybe a little sweaty or itchy, but we wake up and all the thoughts of all the things wrong, whether it be from what we said or did when we were drinking or the shit that we were drinking to avoid. And now our brains are like, hey, knock, knock, wake up because this all is still here. That's why we wake up in the middle of the night, because as the buzz wears off and the cortisol levels remain high and remain elevated for days. I didn't know that as a daily drinker, my base cortisol levels were through the roof. Even on days where, you know, nothing bad was happening or it was a good day, you know, it was my birthday. I had no idea that my normal was so far above somebody who doesn't drink and doesn't experience all that stress. You know, stress is the way you feel in your body. It is not the stressors that are happening in your life. So if you have really high levels of cortisol, like I did, 
everything seems like a big fucking problem or um, and you also just lose your joy for the little things. You know, I remember in early sobriety as my brain started to come back online, just the, the smell before the rain or the sight of an empty clothes basket because I'd done the laundry and put away all the clothes, like the little blips of joy that would come on my radar. But it's really important, and I'll do a whole lot of episodes about post-acute withdrawal syndrome, so I'm not going to hit it here. But it's really important to know that in early sobriety and throughout the first year to year and a half, yeah, it's that long, uh, depending on how long you drank, you are in a dopamine deficit because your brain chemistry, the way your brain works has changed. Alcohol has changed your, the, your dopamine system. And so early sobriety, you are in a bit of a dopamine deficit. And you don't really notice that in the first week, maybe a couple weeks of sobriety because you're feeling such elation that, oh, you know, you're doing it. Look, ma, no hands. I'm not drinking. This is amazing. And you're, you're reaping the benefits of sobriety, but soon it kind of starts to feel normal again. You know, you, you get out of the habit. You're not giving yourself a big participation trophy every morning you wake up. Um, although you, you actually do for kind of a long time. I still like when I wake up, sometimes the first thought in my head is, oh my God, no hangover. Like how good is this day going to be? But as that becomes more normal and life becomes, uh, you know, you don't have the alcohol and now the reasons you were drinking or the consequences of your drinking, which means you're not really having good coping skills and you're and your emotions are all your emotions and thoughts are all tangled up. And once you get through early sobriety withdrawals, then it's kind of time to start untangling some of that other stuff. And it's hard. You know, it's hard. The bill has come due. And so that first year of sobriety does, that's why people talk about, you know, doing gratitude lists and writing in a journal and, and really paying attention to what you're going through. Because if you don't untangle first your beliefs about alcohol and then develop the ability to manage your emotions so they are not managing you, that takes a lot of work. That's the work in early sobriety. And that's what, you know, the 12 steps are designed to do. And I did the 12 steps. Um, I don't know that I ever collected my certificate, but I was excited to jump in to where I was getting in my own way. Um, so early sobriety is, is a lot. And so I, I kind of want to bring this back around and land the plane here the difference between taking a break from quitting or excuse me, taking a break from drinking and actually quitting mentally is huge because if you're just taking a break, you can get through things without really paying attention to what you're getting through and you end up just white knuckling it. And you may go a week, a month, three months, even a year. But if you're just distracting yourself, from, you know, and, and using discipline, eventually, if anything, you're going to be like, you know what, I just proved I don't have a drinking problem. My biggest sign that I was probably never going to drink again is as I rounded the corner on one year of sobriety, I started to think that the best way to celebrate one year of sobriety is to have a drink. Yeah. 
So that I will get into that thought and do more with that. But as long as you think that alcohol is a reward um, and that that somehow going without it for a length of time proves that you should reintroduce it, just be aware that that thought is uh, going to send you right back. Do not to pass go, do not collect $200, you're going right back to jail. Because rationally, if a period of sobriety feels good, then continuing to do more of that is the correct answer. You know, that's just logical. If something is working and feeling good, you want to do more of that, not go back to what wasn't working and what wasn't feeling good. That's the insane part of alcohol use disorder. It's irrational. With that, uh, I'm going to uh, recommend a couple of my favorite Quitlet books from early sobriety. And like I said, Holly Whitaker's Quit Like a Woman would be really one of my top. The other one is Annie Grace's This Naked Mind, uh, Laura McCowan's We Are the Luckiest, William Porter's Alcohol One, and then he actually came out with a second uh, version, Alcohol Two, and they're both standalone. I would recommend getting both, but they were both really good in explaining the physiological reasons of addiction so that you really can grasp what happened to you. And it's actually really freeing to realize you're not just an asshole or you're not just an alcoholic. Like, just like opiates are addictive, nobody goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, are you an opioid addict? Oh, you're not? Perfect. Well, then here's an unlimited supply of Darvacet. Like, knock yourself out. You're going to be fine. You know, alcohol addiction isn't personal. And anybody who drinks, the more you drink, the more physiologically dependent you are on it, um, physio physiologically and psychologically. Those are big words. I feel like I should get a star for saying those. But the more, the more you drink, the more you need it. It is not something where there's people who can drink and people who can't. That is total and complete bullshit. Um, and as much good as, as AA does, that belief alone does a lot more damage. Um, you know, they have a great path to recovery, but the fact that you think that there's something wrong with you and you just have to accept that you have a disease and figure out how to, you know, be different and accept this disease model. No, 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 no. The moment you quit drinking, the, your disease goes away. And then you got to deal with the fact that the disease is actually a mental health issue that has become, that has over time developed where your brain is no longer making rational decisions because of your beliefs about alcohol. And because alcohol is addictive, uh, it just gets crazier and crazier up there. And one last book that I'll recommend that is brand new that I think is as good as Holly's, Holly Whitaker's or Annie Grace's, it's called Not Drinking Tonight by Amanda White. And I think that's a 2022 release. And she also delves into, you know, how addiction happens with alcohol and goes further into how it affects the nervous system and why learning how to manage your stress is the key to getting ahead and getting out of this once and for all. And so in early sobriety, taking the time to explore your beliefs, um, taking the time to give your body what it needs, taking the time to rest, taking the time to just take care of yourself and 
and expose yourself to the truth about alcohol, really, really important. And so I'm going to end there. And as a gift for listening, I have a 10-day survival guide for you. And there'll be a link in the show notes, but you can download that for free. And I go through everything from all of the books to listen to. I have links for podcasts and YouTube TED Talks and websites and social media sites, you know, to follow on Instagram um, so that you can kind of keep your mind occupied, you know. And as we have a low bandwidth in early sobriety, I include a list of Netflix movies that kind of have the theme of sobriety and that you'll walk away like wanting to lean further into recovery as opposed to, you know, going and grabbing a drink and going back. Um, I also, in the 10 day survival guide, give tips on nutrition, what to look for in terms of warning signs. If you're going through a really severe detox, um, how to handle sleep. I talk about different supplements that might help. So it's a really comprehensive guide. And again, you can find that the link for that in the show notes. And when you click on the link, it will take you to my website and you'll have to enter your email address. I will then send the document to you. It's about 10 pages long, so you can print it out. And I will have your email address at that at that point and I will add you to my nourish emails and my emails are really really good Uh, I talk about my own story just like on this podcast Um, I do a lot of tips and strategies and mental health um, information um, especially when it comes to emotional intelligence and stress management so you'll really enjoy being on my email list and if you don't that's what the unsubscribe button is for. I don't want to bug you. Um, And if you're not finding my content to be worthwhile, then please unsubscribe. Um, So there's no pressure there, but uh, definitely get the 10 day survival guide and then make your decision moving forward if you want to hear more from me. So thank you for listening today. uh, As I share my story, I hope that it helps you. I hope that you see that you're not alone. And that honestly, there's no shame in alcohol use disorder. Uh, It's an honest mistake. We are not given the information that alcohol is a drug and that addiction can happen to anybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 Days to Spontaneous Sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink. Because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.